0: Grace and peace, love and mercy from God our Father, through Jesus Christ, our risen Savior and Lord. Amen. Text for our meditation today, this 22nd Sunday after Trinity, this Forgiveness Sunday, our Gospel reading from Matthew 18, especially these words, Peter came up and said to Jesus, Lord, how often will my brother sin against me and I forgive him as many as seven times Jesus said to him I do not say to you seven times but seventy times 7 so far text dear brothers and sisters in Christ it seems like Matthew 18, the chapter, has kind of taken on a life of its own in the church. Maybe you have heard people use it that way. There's a conflict going on between some family or some church activity, maybe a congregation and the pastor, the pastor and the synod. Some conflict is going on. And you hear the phrase, well, did you follow Matthew 18? Well, have you done the steps of Matthew 18? If you haven't, you will. It's very, very common in the church. It has turned the gospel of Jesus Christ, forgiveness, into a law into a formula, into a political tool to beat people about the head, and heart, and soul. The first half of Matthew 18 is very important. We we study it at great length in our catechism class, the Office of the Keys and Confession. We talk about Matthew 18, and we talk about the stages of admonition, the stages of excommunication. We don't talk about those things much in the church, do we? Of course not, for a variety of reasons. You've probably heard them in some way, shape, or form. If your brother sins against you, go to him, one-on-one, resolve the matter. If there's no reconciliation, then take along two or three witnesses. So that the matter may be established by witnesses. And if the person who has sinned against you still doesn't listen, doesn't repent, there's no reconciliation, then tell it to the church. And if he doesn't listen even to the church then treat him as you would a pagan or a tax collector the stages of admonition the stages of excommunication and all too often we either ignore godly reconciliation or we treat reconciliation like a checklist well I did this I guess I'll move on to the next one I've done this I'll move on there my friends, God loves reconciliation. God loves reconciliation. You want to know how you can be sure? Because God sent Jesus, God sent His Son to reconcile the world unto Himself. God is all about reconciliation. And if God would go to the trouble of sending His Son to reconcile you and me, poor, miserable sinners, back to Him, we can say with the utmost confidence that God loves reconciliation. That's what Matthew 18 is all about. The forgiveness of sins And the restored relationships that come about through the forgiveness of sins. So after this discourse on forgiveness, the stages of reconciliation, where the bottom line is always God's desire for repentance and the mending of broken relationships... Peter, oh Peter, Peter who wants to be the star pupil, you know the kind of person I'm talking about, the person that was in class that knew all of the answers and wanted to raise their their hand and ask a question, not to enlighten themselves or the class, but to ask a question to make themselves look big, look smart, look important here's Peter Lord you've just given us a marvelous discourse on forgiveness and reconciliation so how many times should I forgive my brother when he sins against me seven times Peter thought he was Being quite generous, seven times. We know, we know how it is when someone sins against us. Once is usually enough, isn't it? Once is usually enough to sever the relationship, once is usually enough for the grudge to grow and be firmly implanted. And if it happens a second time, ho, ho, ho! We shun them. We cut them off. You're dead to me. Three times? (laughs) It's unthinkable. If you loved me, you would not do what you just did, you would not sin. Three strikes and you're out. Peter thought he was being very generous. And humanly speaking, he was. Almost always, as Jesus is teaching and his teaching leads to a parable, almost always there's an aha moment. You know like that that instant when somebody's telling a joke and you get it not seven times peter seventy times seven Jesus was not saying that we need to keep score and keep a ledger and when people hit 450 we put them on double secret probation and when we hit 478 we give them the ultimate one no there is no scorekeeping when it comes to forgiveness there are no ifs and buts when it comes to forgiveness oh I'll forgive you if you do this if you stop doing that oh I'll forgive you but you better That's how we like to live, isn't it? That's how we act. We all do it. We're really good at it. There are no conditions on the forgiveness of sins, there are no ifs and buts to the forgiveness of sins. God has forgiven us in Christ Jesus fully and completely, no strings attached. In order to teach this this truth that is beyond human comprehension, Jesus tells a story. He does this all the time. He tells a story about something that we can grasp and take this, this mystery, this mystery of biblical truth and apply it to our lives. Jesus in verse 23 says, Therefore, the kingdom of heaven may be compared. My friends, we need to make sure that we realize Jesus is talking about the kingdom of heaven. How the kingdom of heaven works. How church works. How Christians deal with one another. He is not teaching a course on financial management. He is not teaching us here how to go about our business in the real world. No! He's talking about how Christians settle accounts. And I'm not talking about these kind of accounts. This is Kingdom of Heaven talk. This is forgiveness of sins talk. If we miss that very simple point, we get bogged down in some of the details of this particular parable, and we start standing up for the person who's demanding payment of the account. If we fall into that trap, we have missed the point completely. Jesus is talking about our heart our faith the forgiveness of sins which is really the heartbeat of the kingdom of God the kingdom of heaven may be compared to a king who wished to settle accounts with his servants when he began to settle one was brought to him who owed him 10,000 talents again this floats right over the top of our head we don't we don't know off the top of our head what a talent is think of it this way a talent is roughly equivalent to a year's wages 10,000 talents an astronomical sum It would be like one of us owing $10 billion or more. There is no way that you could live long enough to pay it back. We are not to be concerned with how he got this debt. This is the reality. This is the debt. 10,000 talents and since he could not pay duh, 10,000 lifetimes his master ordered him to be sold with his wife and his children and all that he had and payment to be made cut your losses get what little bit you can and move on that's how the world works right? But what does the man do the servant fell on his knees imploring him have patience with me and I will pay you everything my friends Jesus is teaching us about the debt we owe to God it is an astronomical sum. our sin is so great What we owe God because of our sins. We sin daily. We sin much. We sin in thought, word, and deed. We are professional sinners, one and all. And the debt that we have accumulated is so astronomical that if we lived 10,000 lifetimes, we couldn't pay it back. But like the servant in the parable, we live in a fantasy world. Our sin has blinded our mind and our heart. Oh, just give me a little more time, God. I'll clean up my act. Just give me a little more time, God. I'll make it right with you. I'll make it right with them. We pretend and we bargain. As if our sins aren't really that great. My friends, we come into God's house. We confess our sins. We sing hymns like our hymn of the day. Chief of sinners, though I be. We know it in our head. And yet, so often, we deny it in our heart and with our words and with our actions. Like the king in our parable, our heavenly father has pity. Pity that wells up into action, that's called compassion. And out of pity and compassion for him, the master of that servant released him and forgave him the debt. Can you imagine? Somebody owes you millions and billions of dollars. And out of love, out of mercy, out of compassion out of pity, you forgive them. This kind of forgiveness is so foreign to how we live and move and have our being. And yet this is exactly what God has done for us. In the same way that the king forgave the servant The astronomical sum in the same way that the king forgave the servant even though that he was foolish enough to think that he could still somehow pay it back the forgiveness was given the account was cleared the servant was free of his bondage free and clear Oh. Would be really nice if the story ends there, but it doesn't. So many of our readings and themes toward the end of the church year focus on Judgment Day. And here in our gospel reading, we have the forgiveness of sins and Judgment Day all brought together under one head. God is teaching us the amazing love and generosity that is God's attitude toward us in the forgiveness of sins in the gift of Jesus and he's also giving us a warning and it's a very real warning and it's a hard warning to hear it's a warning we must hear. What did the servant do with his forgiveness? Well, he went out and refused to forgive others. We're not talking about a stewardship example here. We're talking about someone who has received the forgiveness of sins and then refuses to forgive others. God is teaching us that we have been forgiven the astronomical sum that we owe. So huge, so astronomical that only the blood of the Son of God could pay for it. And what do we do with that forgiveness? Far too often when someone sins against us we refuse to forgive we bear a grudge you know what it sounds like well he owes me an apology I'm I'm not going to have anything to do with him anymore he owes me an apology no no three times four times he has hurt me I need to love myself enough so that I never get hurt like that again you hurt me and now I'm gonna hurt you back with my thoughts with my words with my actions We find ourselves in situations, it might be between a husband and a wife, or parents and children, or siblings in a family, fighting over an inheritance usually brings out the worst in us. It could be members of a congregation, people at school, people at work, people in the neighborhood. There's no limit, any possible relationship. There's hurt. There's broken relationships. We who have received the forgiveness of sins and our relationship with God restored. God calls us to love and to forgive in the same way that He has loved and forgiven us. My friends, it's very hard to do. On our own, it's impossible to do. We live in a world where we have been taught that we need to look for ways to get ahead, ways to take advantage of a situation, ways to... to, Use our leverage in a situation. And then we take these things that we've learned in the world and we try to apply them to our personal relationships, our Christian relationships, our faith. There's a reason why Jesus teaches us to pray. Forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass Against us. The message that we are telling God. When we stubbornly and steadfastly refuse to forgive others. The message we are telling God is. Your forgiveness is not that big a deal. Your forgiveness is not important. I'll take care of it on my own. We are telling God, we don't trust that the gospel of Jesus Christ can mend broken relationships. I've got to do it myself, and I'm going to do it my way. the end of our parable, when the servant has been caught not forgiving others he's brought before the King his master summoned him and said to him you wicked servant I forgave you all that debt because you pleaded with me and should you have had mercy on your fellow servants as I had mercy on you and in anger His master delivered him to the jailers until he should pay all his debt. Which was an impossible debt to pay, remember? So, also, my heavenly Father will do to every one of you if you do not forgive your brother from the heart. my friends these words are hard to hear because all too often these words condemn us little grudges big grudges little sins and offenses big sins and offenses We demand our rights. We shun and shut people out of our lives for comparatively minor things. My friends, there is no sin that Jesus' blood does not cover over. Including The sin of an unforgiving heart. What God is warning us about today is an unforgiving heart. An unforgiving heart is like a cancer, a spiritual cancer that eats you up from the inside. And it will kill you. It will kill your faith. My friends, God loves reconciliation. That's why He sent Jesus. That's why Jesus came into this world to fulfill the law that condemns us and to pay for our sins. Not some of them, not most of them, but all of them. For all of the times that we have sinfully withheld forgiveness. For all of the times that we have turned the gospel of Jesus Christ into a law. For all of the times when we have have used our faith to gain an upper hand or leverage. For all of the times that we have shunned people. For all of the times that we could have forgiven But for one reason or another, we just didn't. For all these sins and more, Jesus Christ has lived for you. Jesus Christ has died for you. Jesus Christ is risen from the dead. Your sin is forgiven. Your name is written in the book of life. Your sins, astronomical, just like mine, have been washed away in the flood of Jesus' blood. You have been robed with Christ's righteousness in the waters of holy baptism. You have been fed with Christ's body and blood to give you strength and forgiveness on this journey called life. And now, fellow servant... as we have pled for mercy and pity from our Heavenly Father and as we have been fully and freely forgiven may God bless us to live in that forgiveness to love His reconciliation And to love and to forgive one another. As Christ has loved and forgiven us. May God grant it for Jesus' sake. Amen. Now may the peace of God, which far surpasses all understanding, keep our hearts, our minds, our reconciliation.